Ben. Hey, point number one, get yourself a good hype man. Thank you, Ben. Oh, good morning, Ian, guys. Uh, we want to welcome you to church once again. Hope you're doing well in this cold weather. Uh, but our hope, as Pastor Ben has already said, in you being here is that God's word finds you where you are and changes you as you allow him and his work and on what only he can do to do that. And as a teaching group, Pastor Ben and our other pastors, we want you to know what you're getting into when we get through this portion of time together in our service. And we want you to know that we are a Bible teaching church. And what that means is that we go to the Bible together and week after week, we'll work through some specific passages of scripture. And today is no different. We'll be continuing in our flagship book, which is the book of First Thessalonians for this current series, Faith, Hope, Love. And we'll be looking at the very end of First Thessalonians chapter four, and then we'll be going a little bit into chapter five today. But for some good housekeeping, some refreshing, or if you just need to be in the know, if this is your first week here in this series, what we're doing is this, this book, this letter is written to a very young church in Thessalonica and we've been reading and what we've been reading and working through is centered around this amazing movement in the early life of the early church about what happened when the gospel reached this small town of Thessalonica, when the gospel reached this small strategic town of Thessalonica, it changed people. That's what it did. It changed people. It changed their thinking. It changed their family dynamic. And truthfully, as we've been here in the past four weeks, it's changed the course of history. And that same gospel that we've been reading about these past four weeks, that same gospel that changed the lives of those people that we've been reading about is the same gospel that we can believe in today. So small town Franklin can be impacted by the gospel in a similar way as we take these words and themes, faith, hope, and love and action with us. This is what Franklin needs. This is what we need. We don't need another roundabout and we don't need another Super Ingles. Although I'm very thankful that the, the new Super Ingles is about three minutes from my house, but that's what we need. We need the, the gospel. The gospel has power. It has that same power to change our, our families. It has the same power to reach a community. It has the same power to change a region and restruct human history as we know it in the same way. So we've been excited in this series and we're excited to see what happens in us and among us as we pray expectantly for God to do that work again that only he can do to have us be the forerunners of his word in our community and to the ends of the earth. And last week, Pastor Ben walked us through that first section of chapter four, which was highly informational. If you'll remember, if you were here about the will of God on how we live and how we please our heavenly father with that living. So there was some specific instructions there. There was specific exhortation there on holiness, on self-control and on purity. Scriptures that may have probably hit home with you. Scripture and encouragement that you knew that you needed in that moment because it, it reminded you of an all too familiar struggle that we all face. And so for our passage this morning though, I'm excited because I'm pretty confident that these passages that will be in front of today may be something, a biblical reality or an exhortation that may not be so familiar to you, something that we don't think about a lot. 
something that doesn't hit so close to home because it's not talked about as much or, or seen in a day-to-day setting, but that's the tension that will be the tension of our passages this morning because it's a truth that God gives us that hopefully you'll see at the end and we'll reiterate that we can't afford to ignore or put on the back burner or cast off as, as no big deal. So what we'll look at here and together here in a moment should occupy some prime real estate. I hope that it will occupy some prime real estate in our hearts and in our minds. So what I wanna do to start off is actually show you a couple of pictures talking about something that we'll, we'll see today. And I just wanna ask, maybe you can raise your hand. Have you guys ever seen something like this? Maybe on the road, maybe you've seen it posted on a, a power pole or something, signs like these posted somewhere where people can see Obviously, that's the point of that. And so I think I've told this story before, but growing up in, in Murphy, North Carolina, so not far from here, uh, there was this river road that my parents would take me on. And, and I, I drove to school there. And when I got my license, I would drive that same road. And, and for years, for, for probably decades now, I, I wonder if they're still there. I'll have to ask my mom. But one of those those things that I would see every day were when we would drive to school is these signs. And, and on each sign, uh, on one side, it would say, repent. One sign would say, repent. And then about a quarter mile down the road, the next one would say, R. So not like the pirate R, like A-R-E, like R. And then the next sign would say, you. And then the last sign would say, ready. So repent, are you ready? And I don't know, and I've seen these in Franklin before. I've seen these here. I don't know if this is just like a, a Southern thing. This is what we do. We put these billboards up. I don't know. I've, there's literally one I was, I was talking to Ben about how, you know, I, I saw these signs everywhere after I prepared this sermon. I saw all these signs everywhere. It's like when you get a new car and you start to see your car everywhere. Like I started to see these signs everywhere in town. And there's one as you pull right into Chick-fil-A. I've even seen a guy around town. Maybe you've seen this guy with the truck that, or the van that has repent and, you know, Jesus is coming, all these things. I, I've seen stuff that, that says that, uh, but cliche or not. And maybe you think, okay, these, these signs are tacky. These are cliche. I, I've seen these all before. It gives maybe Christians a bad name in doing this. I don't know, but cliche or not, there is great biblical merit to those words that we see on some of these signs. There is great biblical truth, whether we think they're cliche or not. Maybe these have become words that we're conditioned to in a negative way. We think, okay, that's just a tacky Jesus street sign that I see all the time that I just passed every day on my way to school on that river road. It's just a billboard. It's just another street preacher. But this in part, and again, we want you to, to find the biblical merit there. This is God's word. These are words from God's word. And this is what the people of Thessalonica were dealing with, questions and worry about the second coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord. And I, I don't know if you've picked up on this, as we've been through the last four weeks in the series, but Paul actually addresses the second coming of Jesus in every single chapter of this book. So 1 Thessalonians 1.10, for example, and it says, and to wait, to wait for the son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then in the second chapter in verses 19 and 20, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And then in the chapter three, chapter three, verses, verse 13, 
says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So this is a big deal. This is a concept that Paul is trying to get out to these people with these questions that they have that we'll see in our chapters today in chapter four and five. So hope is found in these words. So let's go there together. Let's read chapter four, verse 13 through 18. We'll read this in, in, the, in whole and then we'll talk about this. The, the coming of the Lord. This is something on their minds. This is something that Paul wants to get out to these people. And so it says this, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. So those who are, have passed away in the midst of their community that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So there's some differentiation there between people who have hope and people who don't have hope. Don't be like them. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so now I wanna go back to verse 13. It said, we do not want you to what? Be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For the most part in this entire series so far, the last four weeks, and we've been reading about this church at, at Thessalonica, and we've been reading, we can probably describe them as a, a healthy church. That's how we can define them. However, there are some things here, and there's been some things a little bit in the past weeks that have been happening that Paul knows that that's on their minds and knows that it's worrying them. So he wants to address these things. And so whatever the circumstances for our context this morning, people in this community had died. So the brothers and sisters in Christ that they have lived with, that they have gotten to know for whatever reason, whatever the circumstances, they have passed away. And the people of this community were not fully informed about what would happen to those deceased Christians at Christ's return. They thought that somehow these deceased Christians would miss out on the second coming of Jesus altogether if he were to come back. And now because of that, because that's their thinking, They've fallen into this state of hopelessness and hopeless grieving for those who have passed. They're worried about them. And so enter Paul here. He sees this main problem that's facing this young church, the questions that they have, which is a lack of knowledge to what happens to Christians who die. So what happens to these people? They're worried, they're hopeless. They're, they're, they're thinking they won't see them again. And you know, if Christ comes, they won't be with them. And so this is something that Paul has, again, he's been aware of every chapter so far. He knows this and he's highlighted this, but we, we read in chapter two that he was actually forced to leave the area. And we can read that in chapter two and then actually in, in Acts, this highlights this as well. He had to leave, but now he's back in, in the setting of chapters four and five and he's ready to, to drop some knowledge and, and complete this teaching. So these people are hurting. These people are, are grieving. 
They're, they're grieving for, again, those people in their community that they have lost. And Paul tells them right up front, I don't want you to be uninformed. You can't afford, uh, afford to be uninformed about your brothers and sisters in Christ who have passed. And so that's going to be the main theme for us this morning, being informed. What that means, what that means for us as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a child of God, what it means to be informed, how that is to our benefit. And so one of my favorite parts of God's word amongst many is that it leaves us with no built-in excuses. God's word is great for that. And as human beings, I think it's part of our nature where we just love to have a built-in excuse. We say something like, oh, I didn't know. You do something and somebody tells you, like, oh, I didn't know. That's your built-in excuse. It's like when I give my daughter her 12th cup of apple juice for the day and Kerrigan tells me, Brian, Evie Kate can't have that much sugar. Why did you give her her 12th cup of apple juice? And I say, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry, babe. I'm just a dad. I'm just trying to do my best. I didn't know. And so we have these built-in excuses as humans, whatever yours is. Well, that's between you and the Lord. But I, I, I think we love to have a built-in excuse. And so Paul wants these people to know. He wants to inform them to have no built-in excuse to give hope. Don't worry as other people do that don't have the same hope that you do. And so verse 14, if we move along, it says, here's how, here's how you can have hope. Here's why you can have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And Paul even goes on in another book to say, if Christ wasn't resurrected, then he would have died in vain. But Christ rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring those people who you have lost with him, those who have fallen asleep. And so I was thinking about this verse and I was thinking how, you know, I've done a, I've done a handful of funerals and the ones that I have done, the people that have passed, they've, they've all been Christians. They're all children of God. And, and I, I was thinking about how, you know, what's my role in all that sometimes? Or you're about to get up and speak in, in front of these people who have lost a loved one and they're, they're grieving about this loss naturally. And, you know, I wonder what's my role in, in this? What am I about to, what I'm about to go do? This is a hard thing. And talking to people that I don't know, mostly in this crowd and, and I have to remember that in that setting, I'm there because of hope. Hope because I know someone, just as Paul said, I know someone who has gone into the grave and come back out. I know that. I have that truth. I know someone who has died and resurrected from the dead. That's why I'm here talking to you. That's the message that we preach to you all every Sunday morning. I hope you hear that. That's the message that we preach to our, our students on, on Sunday nights. So we who are in Christ, we too, even if we die, we will be with Christ again. So there's some hope, lessons worry, and what life-giving information. And Paul speaks that hope to them, reminding them of the union that they have with Christ, that God will bring with him those Christians in their midst who have passed reminding them that nothing can break that union that they have with Jesus. And I love here, if you wanna think about baptisms, when we have baptisms, I love that. Or anywhere that I, I see a baptism, it gives me great joy when we celebrate that together, when we celebrate that together here. And you know, I think about what we do when somebody uh, gets baptized here, when they go into that water, 
and then they rise, we cheer. And if, you, if you've been here during a baptism, you know, we, we get loud, we cheer. There's, there's hugs at the end. It's a celebration up in here. Why? Because we find hope in that act. We tangibly experience hope. The person who's being baptized tangibly experiences that hope that is from God, a celebration of, of death to life. And now, kind of going back to this, this funeral thing, when somebody passes in Christ, I'm not telling you like, hey, go high five people, go hug. That's not the, the setting to do that. But friend, I want you to know that if you're in here and you've experienced the passing of your Christian brother or sister, your Christian husband or wife, your Christian son or daughter, yes, there is certainly gonna be grieving, but I want you to know that there's also hope. That casket, that grave, it's not a final resting place of despair. It's a temporary dwelling that has hope attached to it. And Paul is telling that to these people. Yes, there's grieving, but there's hope. And if we read verse 15, as we go on, Paul goes to say that these people that have passed are so far from hopeless. And so, but for whatever reason, again, these, these Thessalonians were worried about those people who had died before Christ's return. But Paul says, don't be worried at all because those people who go before us will actually precede us who are still alive at, at Christ's return. So look at verse 15 with me. It says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord himself, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So you kind of see what Paul is talking about there. You can kind of see what he's, he's thinking about here. He's talking about Christians who are still alive when the Lord comes back as those who are still left. And the words that he uses there to describe the coming of the Lord in that instance are words that were used to describe official visits of Roman emperors in that time to local provinces when they would come and these Roman emperors would come to the province and display their sovereignty or their rule over an area. So the Lord Jesus will return, says Paul. And kind of back to those emperors, when they would go to a city, a delegation, when the emperors would come, a delegation would be sent out to greet the returning emperor first. A delegation would go to meet them. So Paul here in that same way is showing the Thessalonians how it is that the dead in Christ are so far from hopelessness that they will have precedence over the living by this use of an image of a delegation going to meet, going out to meet in the same way the coming Lord, the dead in Christ will be the first to receive the returning King. And then there's verse 16 and 17, our, our description here of what that's like. And it says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then he, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So there's, there's more information here. And this is a very big description, a very detailed poetic description. Real men write poetry, by the way, amen. If we wanna know when somebody becomes a man, you write poetry. I just wanna throw that in there. So Paul gets poetic here. 
very detailed in the scene that he's describing an attempt to describe what is indescribable. Can't imagine what this moment's really gonna be like. It's a, it's a poetic way describing what is really indescribable. At the second coming, it said, Christ will descend from heaven to earth. He will utter the word of command and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God will waken the dead. Then the dead and the living alike will be caught up in the chariots of the cloud to meet Christ. That is insane. That's awesome. Insane in a good way. And after that, it said that they will be forever, forever with their Lord. It's easy though, when we think about that description and we think about the details that, that Paul's describing, the poetic way that he's doing that, it's easy to get caught up in the details of that vision because it is so amazing. But the details of this are not of ultimate importance over the main message that Paul is, is trying to give. Is he's just simply reintegrating information that he's already said. And what, in, what is important is then, uh, again, in life and death, what Paul is trying to describe here is that if the, the Christian is in Christ, this is a union that nothing can ever break. If you are in Christ, this is a union that nothing can ever break. And Christ would go on himself to say this about him and his children in the story of Lazarus to Martha in John chapter 11, he speaks this similar way about this union. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Lazarus will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so this is the same union that's being talked about. That portion is also a great segue into the verses that we'll have here in chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five, there's some more information that we have to look at. And this is where we have some detailed application for our lives. So we've heard about this second coming of the Lord and now we're gonna have some application with this. And hopefully you can see that we'll, we'll need to mirror these Thessalonians and being informed, yes, about the, the second coming of the Lord in the realm of hope amid physical death. But we'll also hear Paul flesh out the importance of living in light of that information. So it's, it's wonderful that we hear about this that the second coming of the Lord is real, that we have this description in the, the poetry that we have read, but it's, it's very important as well that we live out this information, that we do something with it. So this is huge for us in this section, chapter five, verses one through 11. I want you guys to keep this in mind. And it's just this, being informed, talking about that, being informed has to lead to some preparation. It's great to have that information, but what are you gonna do with it? So I want, you, I want you to read with me in chapter five, starting in verse one and two. And it says this with that theme in mind. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, about this coming of the Lord, you have no need for me to write anything to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, and maybe you've heard this description before, will come like a thief in the night. Now this day of the Lord, this, this day of the Lord is closely related in, in Paul's writing 
to the second coming. The day of the Lord is a very common Old Testament phrase with the prophets that they use. It refers to this great and terrible day when Yahweh will intervene and punish the, the disobedient. We'll get to those two categories of obedient living and disobedient living in, in light of this day of the Lord in, in just a bit. But for verse two, it's interesting because they weren't well-informed, if you'll rethink with me, they weren't well-informed about the particulars of what would happen to those in their community who had recently passed. Would they be resurrected? Would they be part of the second coming? They, they didn't know about that and they needed to be informed. But the day of the Lord, they are well-informed, as Paul says in verse two, about the when of the day of the Lord, meaning they don't know when it's gonna come, but they know that. And so they know maybe as you know that the Lord's second coming is unbeknownst to mankind. We don't know when that's gonna happen. The Bible even goes as far to tell us that Jesus himself did not know when this day would come. Only God knows. So it's not the specifics about the day or the hour that's important. It's what Christ followers do in the meantime, with that information, that's important. And Paul knows that for these people and saying, I have no need to write to you about the win of it all. But he does, he does write about the finality of this event. He highlights people. He, he'll talk about the obedient and disobedient as we'll read the people of light, the people of darkness. And that's why he says this in verse three going on. He says, they of the Lord, you know, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So there's gonna be consequences for those who are unprepared. Remember that's our designated theme in this section of verses. Paul's information to them should lead to some preparation of this second coming of the Lord, this day of the Lord. But verse three begins to highlight the reality of those who aren't preparing at all for the day of the Lord. People who have not accepted any information of a savior at all. Paul says these individuals are tragically clueless about all of this now. And that ignorance that they have will lead to surprise in that day, as we see in verse four. They are ignorant, so they will be surprised. And so why do you guys come to church on a regular basis? Hopefully it's to impart, big part, hear God's word expounded. So you will not be ignorant and therefore you will not be surprised. And what's worse is these people and their ignorance, Paul says, and then their surprise, this will lead to their destruction. The day of the Lord, he says, will come like a thief in the night. I wanna read verse three one more time. While people are saying there's peace, there is security. We're good. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains came upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. This is a, a warning to them. This is a promise of those who reject God. It will not be advantageous whatsoever for anyone to be found not in Christ on that day in the second coming. So where's the hope though? Because <laughs> this, this might seem like we're a little bit far away from hope now about this. So verses five through nine, here's hope. So listen carefully, follow along with me. Verses five through nine, Paul starts to describe them though as people who have hope for you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night 
or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. Action words, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and of love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first thing that I want you to note in those verses, I want you to notice all the describing language that Paul uses within those particular verses for the ones who are in Christ. So starting in verse five, he said, you, Christian community, Christian, you are children of light. And he says, we are not, grouping them together again. We are not of the darkness. That's not who you are. And then verse eight, we belong to what? We belong to the day. That's who you are. And then verse nine, God has destined you, God has destined us to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So a a quick point that I want you to know there is that we prepare, if that's the theme again, if that's the word, preparation, prepare, we prepare for the day of the Lord by knowing who and whose we are, right? We, we, I was thinking about the movie, The Help, where you can assert that quote, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. Who you are in Christ should pump you up. That's what Christ did for you. He bought that title for you. In John chapter one, verses 12 and 13, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, he bought that. He gave you the right to become a child of God, children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, child of God. That means something. I hope it does. And his name, that means that we have some work to do based off that information, based off who he says that we are, if we are in him, part of being prepared for the Lord means that we know what team we're on. We know what he says about us. We know what he's done for us and who is leading the charge. And so I I was thinking about one of my, I love historical dramas. One of my favorite historical dramas is the movie Troy. And one of my favorite scenes from that movie Troy is when Achilles, AKA Brad Pitt, is talking to his men, the Myrmidons, the men that he leads, the men who are loyal to Achilles. He turns to them in one famous scene and he says, my brothers of the sword, I would rather fight alongside you than an army of thousands. And he says, let no men forget how menacing we are. We are lions, he says. And then he points to the beach that they're about to storm. And he says, you see that beach over there? You see what's waiting? Do you know what's waiting beyond that beach? And he drops the famous line. He says, it's immortality. Go take it. It's yours. And then when he says that, I'm so pumped up, I'm ready to grab a sword and go storm the beaches of Troy with those guys. And what Achilles is doing, he's giving these men a point of hope. He's telling him, this is who you are. Don't forget it. Take that information and go, go to war. And for us in Christ, watch out Smoky Mountain Theater for the performing arts. I feel like I did pretty good there. But what he's doing is he's giving this man a point of hope. He's saying, this is who you are. And for us in Christ and through Christ, because we are called children of God, it means, it should mean that we're ready to go to war. Because this world is a battle. This life is a battle. 
and which is described in, in the things that we read that we put on in, in verses eight and nine. So know who you are, Paul says to the people of Thessalonica. Know that you uh, are a child of God and, and who you are matters when it comes to the day of the Lord, whenever that day will come. Who you are, bought by Christ, his child, it matters. And so as we know from the book of James though, and, and talking about being prepared, hearing who we are again needs to be coupled with doing something for God. And 2 Corinthians puts it this way, if we're talking about this and it says, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but they might live for the sake of who died for them and, and who was raised. And, and that's a hope being relayed to these people. Verses six through eight again, let me read that one more time. He says, so then let us not sleep as others do. But again, action words, let us keep awake. Let us keep sober. Take that information. Here's what you do with it. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So point number two here with preparation. So we know, we know whose we are. We know who we are. Christ tells us that. But number two, preparation for the Lord has to also come in living for the Lord. It's great that we know who we are. It's great that we know whose we are. That's a, a big point of hope, but we also have to live for the Lord. We should be compelled by his love and who he tells us that we are, what he did for us to live for him. And so the context for Paul, the people that he is writing to, this makes sense. They're worried, they're afraid, they need hope. And it'll make perfect sense to us, current believers, as we talk through this a little bit more. And we can start that talk by this statement. And the statement is when, talking about the day of the Lord, when doesn't matter when you're ready. It doesn't matter when the day of the Lord will come, Paul's saying. But what matters is, are you, are you ready? Those, those cliche signs that I showed you at the beginning that we need to find biblical merit in. When does it matter when you are ready? And so uh, if we're, we're saying this word, being prepared, this idea of being prepared, then you know, what does it mean to just be prepared? in a general sense. So in your lifetime, you guys have, have prepared for things. Maybe you prepared for a lot of stuff this past week. Maybe you're preparing for something this upcoming week. You have prepared for an innumerable amount of things in your life, events, you name it, you, you've prepared for it. Preparation is a must. There's advantages to being prepared. It, it just lessens your worry. If you're prepared and you don't have to worry for that upcoming thing, because you know that you're, you're ready. There's relief, there's great relief in preparation. It's a good thing in general to be prepared. And so I was talking to my wife about this. She was asking me, you know, what kind of examples and stuff I was gonna use. And I, I was telling her, I'm gonna use a story about when uh, Kerrigan and I found out that we were going to be parents. I remember exactly where I was. I came home from work with my dad and he dropped me off and she tells me that we're gonna be parents and I, I should have dropped on my knees at that, that moment and prayed to God because uh, I wasn't prepared mentally. How do you prepare for that? That's a hard thing to do if you've, if you've been there. I wanna be you know, full disclosure with you guys. Some days I still feel like I'm not prepared to be a parent. And we've got two kids now, so I, I don't have time for that, but I, I still don't feel prepared. 
But I will say that when I was talking to Kerrigan about that story and we found out we're gonna be parents and you know, when you find out you're gonna be parents, you're eventually preparing for that hospital day. When you have to go to the hospital, you, you can't avoid it. You gotta go, you gotta be prepared. The baby's gonna come and I'll give it to Kerrigan. She is the great planner in our relationship. And one of the things she had to plan down, you know, to when we got there, what was gonna happen. She was luckily gonna be induced. So we were going in there on a Sunday for, for her induction. And one thing that I found that was so crazy about that preparation and I was just thinking about was we went into the ER. So we checked in, we had uh, EVK in Blairsville, Georgia. And so we checked into the ER there. I'm not sure why we had to check into the ER, but I remember sitting in that ER waiting room with literally about 19 bags around me in the ER, like wondering, we look so stupid with all these bags. We look like we're going on our honeymoon again instead of just a barely two day stay at the hospital. Like there's a guy bleeding beside us. I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, just having a baby, you know, congrats, man. You hope that works out. But we had so many bags, but we were prepared for Evie Kate. My goodness, were we prepared for a, a week long stay. But what about, what about for the Lord, you know? How do, how do we prepare for the Lord living in light of maybe the second coming of the Lord? You know, I said at the beginning of this message that I believe that this day of the Lord is something that we may not prepare well for because it's something that we don't think about that often. Maybe it's something that we don't think about as we should. It's something that we put off from time to time, but it's something that we can't afford to put off. So Paul what he does is he reminds his audience, you are light, stay awake, be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation. Remember who you're living for. There's hope in this living, prepare by living out your calling. This is who you are, go do this. And we need to share in those reminders as well of how we are called to live. Remember, no built-in excuses. The word of God is perfect in that. No built-in excuses for us. And Pastor Sam and I, we talked about this message a little bit on Monday. I was you know, trying to figure out some things where I wanted to go and uh, I was picking his brain because he's a good student of the word and he, he knows the words of some other faithful men. And he sent me this Paul David Tripp quote that applies to what we're talking about right now, living in light of the day of the Lord, living in light of the Lord. And so I wanted to show it and read it to you guys. And it reads as follows. It says, if you don't keep the eyes of your heart focused on the paradise that is to come, the Lord who is to come, you will turn this poor fallen world into the paradise that it will never be. And that's a good reminder, right? There's, there's no reason, again, there's no reason that the Christ follower should be caught unaware about what this life is all about, what we should be doing. We are not surprised and we won't be surprised if the day of the Lord comes, if we're watchful and if we're sober and if we're obediently serving Christ in those ways in our life, waking or sleeping, the Christian is living already with Christ and is therefore always prepared. That's what we should be doing. Preparedness is rooted in hope, knowing what Christ will do, knowing what he's done, knowing who he tells us that we are. And for those of you, I know that in a crowd this large, there's someone who's saying, that's not me. I'm not prepared. I'm worried. I haven't been preparing. I'm not watchful. I'm not sober. I certainly wouldn't call myself a child of God. I'm not, I'm not in that. 
And for those of you who are thinking that, I want you to know something that God prepared for you. God prepared for you long before you existed. God even prepared for your sin. God prepared for the sin of the entire world. If today's highlight again is being informed and and being prepared, all of us need to know that God prepared for all of us. The fall of man, for example, was not a surprise. Think about it, Genesis 3.15. He said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and he will strike your heel. That passage is said to be written 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. From the very beginning, right after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, he gave indication that a savior would be coming from the seed of the woman, Eve. God revealed right away that this seed would be the one who would crush the head of the serpent and death forever. And another prophecy fulfilled, Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, talking about Christ. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace and hope was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So God prepared for you. This was not a surprise. And what you need to notice from that, if you're in that crowd that's saying, this is not me, you know, I'm not a child of God. I know that I'm far away from him. I know that I'm not sober. I know that I'm not watchful. I know that I'm not awake. You need to know from that, that you were actually made for a purpose. You were made to know God. All the frustrations that you experience in in life are there in part from God's kindness to show you that this world, this life is not all that there is. That quote that we looked at, there is, it's not all that there is. It's too small to fit the hopes of a creature made in his image. So if you're in here today and you wanna know more about what it means to be a Christian, I can't imagine a better place for you to be. Here in just a moment, we are going to sing about this hope and there will be prayer partners up front who would love to pray with you about this hope that we have talked about today, a hope that can be your own, that if you trust in Jesus Christ, the one whom God sent to live the perfect life, die the death on the cross that should have been yours and mine. And then three days later, Jesus raised from the dead. And if you trust in that God who sent his son, who made you, but whom against you have sinned, this God who is rightly offended by your and and my sin in amazing love, this is what he'll do. He will be faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness as a sufficient substitute for that sin, for that wrongdoing. And that is a great hope for you to have, to be with the Lord forever if you do that as we read today. So I'm gonna pray and, and you come as the spirit leads. Heavenly Father, what an amazing word that, that you've given us this morning through you. And God, there's, there's so many times where our, our sin, we feel the weight of it. We feel that it's, it's separated us from you. And, and God, I, I wanna thank you that you reminded us today that you sent the one who we just talked about, that you sent your son to live that perfect life to die a death that that should have been ours on that cross. And three days later in victory and in hope, you raised from the dead, Lord. And that is the greatest hope that we can possibly have. And for the one who's here today and saying, you know, I'm not in that crowd. I'm not in the, 
the child of God crowd, but I, I know that my sin has separated me from that. I, I pray that they know you today, Lord, as uh, they maybe hear your voice for the very first time saying uh, that you have been that substitute for them. So Lord, thank you for your love, your grace, your kindness, and your mercy. And it's in your precious and holy name we pray, amen.
be well with us that, that God, your will, your ways are above ours, God, but they're perfect. God, help us to know that you have us held in everything that you do. God, that, that you are strong, that you are merciful, that you are good, that you are loving. God, I pray that we would walk out today in full confidence of what you have in store for us. God, we love you.